Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I don't speak English that well. <laughs> yes, you do. Mm. It's just salmon is your only issue. Salmon. 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 I say salmon. Do you? Yeah. So then why were you arguing for salmon? <laughs> that time you were like, oh, it's like when people say route or root. It's like salmon and salmon. No. Hola, ¿qué tal? Welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Like we mentioned, this season we're going internacional. All of the ladies of our second season will be from all over the globe. On today's episode, we will talk about Concepcion Mendizábal Mendoza, who was the first woman civil engineer in Mexico. I'm Lizzie Rar, sweating it out in San Francisco. I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Nurjidi and Jessica. I'm Nurjidi Rivas, reflecting on my core values in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, feeling the autumn breeze in Washington, D.C. Before we start, quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, Please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. All right. So today, ladies, we're heading to Mexico. Eh, hey, viva Mexico! Yes! <laughs> That's my grito. That's as far as it can go. There you go. That's a great grito. So, like I mentioned, today we're talking about Concepcion Mendizábal Mendoza. And she was the first woman civil engineer in Mexico. All right. So Concepcion was born on March 4th, 1893 in Mexico City. She was the daughter of Joaquin Mendizábal y Tamborrel and Luisa Mendoza Gutierrez. She had a sister, Maria de la Luz, and her father, Joaquin, was a well-known engineer and geographer and a mathematician. 
He was actually pretty famous and he worked for the National Astronomical Observatory. And he was part of the team that demarcated the border between Mexico and Guatemala. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So Concepcion wanted to follow in her father's footsteps and become an engineer. Her mother was very encouraging of her working towards a career. And so in 1913, she enrolled in the normal school for teachers for four years. She did very well in the school, but she didn't want to be a teacher or a governess. So she enrolled in more advanced math classes at the School of Higher Studies. Follow your arrow wherever it points. <laughs> Casey Musgrave, guys. Thank, thank you for that interlude. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, but, you know, it's <laughs> just like, how do you... Um, you know what's interesting about this? Being a teacher is one of those expected professions. I say that in quotes for women. I'm assuming that Concepcion must have felt that she probably had to be a teacher, but clearly she didn't want that. Right. I think that was kind of the typical option for a woman to take if they wanted to work, which is why I think her mom was pro her working. So but that was seemed like the only option or like the way to go. Right. Because that was what you did if you wanted right. to work as a woman. Makes sense. But. Concepcion always wanted to build roads and bridges, so she set her sights on studying at the Palacio de Minería, which is where her father had attended. And in 1921, she did. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, Yeah, Concepcion. So the school that Concepcion attended, the Palacio de Minería, it was founded in 1782 as the Real Seminario de Minería, or the Royal Mining Seminary. But when Concepcion attended it, it was called the Palacio de Minería, or Palace of Mining. And today, it's called the Escuela Nacional de Ingenieros, or the National School of Engineering. It's gone through a lot of name changes. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, she went to the National Engineering School, essentially. But the school did not accept its first female student until 1909, which is almost 200 years after it got started. Wait, so Concepcion was not the first woman to attend the school? Correct. By the time Concepcion started classes in 1921, there had been three other female students enrolled at the Palacio de Minería, but most articles say that none of them graduated. So who was the first woman to attend? That was Dolores Rubio Avila. She studied metallurgy at the school. And there's some debate about whether she graduated, which would technically make her the first woman to graduate from the school. But she and Concepcion were different types of engineers. So either way, they're the first from their respective disciplines if Dolores did graduate. Interesting. I wonder how she got into that. Uh, Chemistry? I don't know. Sounds kind of cool. I think metallurgy is different than chemistry. They study physical and chemical behavior of different metals. Mm, Even more interesting. Go, Mm. Dolores. Yeah. (laughs) So in 1921, Concepcion starts classes at the Palacio de Minería. However, her time studying at the normal school and the School of Higher Studies, it wasn't considered a bachelor's degree. So they couldn't officially enroll her at the school and she could only audit classes to start. Why'd they name it Higher Studies then? Hashtag false advertisement. 
Boo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she appealed to have her previous studies considered equivalent to a bachelor's degree. And in 1926, they agreed to revalidate them. Well, it took five years, but yay. Yeah, yeah. all of our ladies are persistent. I'm proud of them. Right? So now she can officially enroll in civil engineering courses and start her path towards being an engineer. And that same year, though, in 1926, her father passed away, which was obviously really hard for her. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah, <sighs> that must have been really hard for her for something so tragic to happen while you're at school. I know I can't imagine it. But the interesting thing is that there were a bunch of magazines who wrote about the fact that even though her dad had passed away, that it was so impressive that she powered through and finished her schoolwork. She actually never failed a class and earned top grades the whole time she was in school. Let me read this quote from the engineering magazine at the school. The death of Senor Mendizabal y Tamborel occurred almost at the end of the school year, and despite the rudeness of a blow of this magnitude, especially for the delicate constitution of a woman, after the painful absence of a few days of mourning, Senorita Mendizabal Mendoza returned to resume her work. And neither the fact that it was so far into the school year, nor her intense grief, nor the many difficulties she had to overcome to get ahead made her waver in the least. They say that pain is an incentive that propels us to triumph, and that must have been the case for Senorita Mendizabal Mendoza, because that year not only did she complete her regular third-year course, but she also took exams in various fourth-year subjects, having passed a total of 10 subjects, some of them quite heavy. Wow. It sounds like the school was very proud of her, and that's great. But it feels like a backhanded compliment, especially for the delicate constitution of a woman. Like, what is that about? Yeah, <laughs> school is already tough and losing a loved one would have made it even harder. But what are they trying to say? That it would have been even harder for her because she is a woman insinuating that she is a weaker than man? Right. It's such a weird, like way that they wrote that and it's like like you said Nergity they're definitely proud of her but I don't know well in 1927 Concepcion finished her degree and she graduated hey, viva Concepcion ay, 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 ay. <laughs> I'm gonna get this grito yeah I'm gonna get this grito down yes <laughs> so in January of 1930 Concepcion applied to take the professional exam for engineers, and that involved going before a jury and presenting a thesis in addition to the exam. Sound familiar, ladies? A little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just stopped getting nightmares about this. So to graduate architecture school, it all culminated with us presenting a year-long project to three to four professors. They basically gave you the pass or fail, and your thesis typically can be based on anything, really. But yeah, I, I remember that. Um, but anyway, mm. so Lizzie, what was Concepcion's thesis on? <laughs> so her thesis was titled Project of a Raised Tower of Reinforced Concrete for 300 Cubic Meters of Water, 20 Meters High, with a Viewpoint at the Top. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all? Why did she stop there? Why not? Project of a raised tower of reinforced concrete for 300 
meters cubed of water, 200 meters high, with a viewpoint at the top of the sunset and the sunrise, with a tabletop <laughs> and a chair for coffee drinking and newspaper reading. <laughs> and the cat that roams around the street. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a very thorough name. I mean, it tells you what it is. Right? True. True. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. It's very informative. Engineers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in her thesis, she also actually included construction details. And she also took care to document her thesis with photographs, which was very unusual at the time. But it was said that she knew it would be important since she was going to be the first woman to obtain the title. <laughs> it sounds like the opposite of Julia Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> True. Right? Yeah. But thank God Concepcion had the foresight to do that. And we can reap the benefits of knowing more about her work today. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So on February 11th, 1930, she presented to the jury and she passed, making her the first female civil engineer in the country. She was 37 years old. Orale, chica! Felicidades! Felicidades! And so the school magazine wrote another article about her. It was a whole front page article, actually. And they said that despite the condition of her gender, the jury was as rigid as with the other engineering candidates. Guys, I, I didn't know that my gender was a condition. Did, did you? <laughs> my eyes just fell out of my head because of the huge <laughs> eye roll. <laughs> I know, like, just stop giving her backhanded compliments. It's like, crazy. Why do people feel the need to make comments like that? I'm going to chalk it up to the game because the point is that homegirl passed it and it was totally based on merit and that she was actually just as good as the other guys. Right. Yes. I mean, I think that's what they're trying to say, right? But they're just... No. They're trying and failing. Yeah, they need help. I don't think it's try. I don't kind of try. Let's give them a C. C plus for effort. C plus for effort. D minus. (laughs) All right. Well, they also wrote, it is well known that in our midst, the intervention of women in those professional fields that seem to be exclusively the domain of men is an arduous and desperate task for them. However, some women have graduated from our faculties, and it is not a novelty to know that there are female doctors or lawyers, but the engineering career had been left out of the aspirations of female desires. The rigid nature of the subjects that constitute her teaching, the inappropriateness for women to tackle many of the jobs that constitute the activity of the engineer, and so on. Doubtless, they make this difficult and noble profession largely inaccessible to women. This is why Senorita Mendizabal Mendoza's attitude and perseverance and determined will to start, continue, and successfully achieve her career stands out. That's so bananas. What are the activities that women could not do? Are we back to the dress argument again? (laughs) Would women not perform their activities because of their wardrobe? I didn't realize women could be doctors and lawyers before they could be engineers and architects. Did you? No. No. Who knew that women wanting to become engineers would be considered desperate or an intervention of the profession? (laughs) 
But ladies and gentlemen, it's comments like these that make it so hard for women to become a part of this industry. Lizzie. Yeah, that's true. What happens next? Please tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So after Concepcion graduated, she worked in academia at the university where she studied. And she also worked at Petroleos Mexicanos, a Mexican petrol company. She was also the proto-secretary of the Antonio Alzate Scientific Society, which her father helped co-found in 1884. And the society later became the National Academy of Sciences, which is a nonprofit organization with over 1,800 Mexican scientists who are members. Concepcion became the co-author of volumes 1 to 52 of the magazine for the society. Hopefully she wrote less sexist articles. Oh my god, male counterparts. <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> but girl got busy with all those chambas. Yeah. Right? So in 1974, Concepcion was awarded the Ruth Rivera Prize, along with the first Mexican architect, Maria Luisa de Esa y Gomez Farias. Future episode alert. So I had trouble figuring out pretty much anything about the award specifically and it seems like maybe it was never given again after the two of them got it (laughs) but i did (laughs) so okay unclear but i did find out that ruth rivera marin who the award is named after was an architect and she actually was diego rivera's daughter wait with frida no no not with frida oh yeah that's right frida couldn't have children oh i didn't know that yeah Well, Concepcion never got married or had kids. She lived to be 92 years old and she passed away on November 23rd, 1985. Wow, she lived such a long life, though. Yeah, and she achieved so much. Great contributions. Yeah. All right. So, ladies, since we're talking about an engineer from Mexico City, I feel like we should talk a little bit about subsidence and the complex engineering that goes into designing in this city. Do either of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, we've been to Mexico City, but I don't think I know that word. Subsidence? Subsidence? Sub- yeah, I can't imagine what it is, but I've never heard it that term either. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I didn't really know much about it either, but a civil engineering friend of mine told me about it when we went to visit Mexico City. So subsidence is a gradual caving or sinking of a particular area of land. And this is a major issue in Mexico City. The entire city is sinking. Ah, yes. Okay, that makes sense. True. We talked about that while we were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just assumed it was sinking because it's on large tectonic plates, right? Well. Yeah, it's actually less to do with the tectonic plates, though, and more to do with the type of soil that the city sits on. So the Aztecs had built the city on an island in the lake or some articles said at the place like between two lakes where they come together. Anyway, they had a lot of lakes. So when the Spaniards came and killed the Aztecs, took their land, all of that. The Spaniards drained the lake and they built the city on the dried lake bed. So now most of the fresh water that the city and the surrounding areas use comes from a large aquifer below the lake bed. 
But the more that they pull from the aquifer, the more the city sinks. So the Aztec engineers have figured out how to make it work. And the Europeans, thinking they knew better and were superior, slaughtered the Aztecs and then proceeded to mess the city up. Is what you're saying? Eh, Yeah, pretty much. Okay, (laughs) great. The Aztecs had learned how to live with the land and like use the water to their advantage. And the Spaniards just kind of were like, no, we're just going to, you know, take everything we can. Thank you, conquistadors. Mm. So the city has sunk about 30 feet in the last century alone. When the sinking was at its worst in the mid 20th century, it was sinking at about an average of 19 inches per year. That's a lot. Yeah. 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 And so another issue is that the city is not sinking evenly because the soil is a combination of clay and volcanic soil. So buildings start to become uneven and unstable when one corner sinks quicker than the others. And if you pay attention when you go around Mexico City, you can see buildings that are undulating and sinking at different rates. I'll include a couple of photos in our show notes, too. Do you guys remember when we were in Mexico City and we went to the old Basilica de Guadalupe? Oh, yeah. I'll never forget. It was crazy. The minute we walked in there, I felt sick. The space was monumental, but something about it was just totally off. And it turns out it's tilting and the body is trying to cope with how everything is slightly slanted. Mm -hmm. I remember I wanted to walk out of there really fast, but I didn't want to separate from you guys. So I like roughed it out. Yeah, I I remember that. Um, The Basilica de Guadalupe, it's considered to be a great religious site for Catholics. But yeah, what I remember most was that it had that sort of like lean to it. And you can tell it was sinking. It definitely gave you this uneasy feeling. Yeah, it was super bizarre feeling. You you basically were walking uphill as you walked from the entrance of the church towards the altar. Like, (laughs) but it's weird. Like, I didn't expect my body would react that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's that's one of the problems, too, is that because the buildings are sinking unevenly, there's a point where the tilt becomes like a health problem. Right. Like exactly what you're talking about. It causes this weird reaction to your body. And it's like it it can cause health issues because you just feel sick and nauseous all the time. They actually ended up building a new cathedral next to it because the original one was so tilted and almost unsafe, but you can still go in and experience the tilting like we did. And like I said, you definitely start to feel sick, which is another reason the uneven sinking is a problem. Because imagine your apartment starting to do that. I know. Dios no guarde. Virgencita ampara, no? Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just remembered something that happened to me in Mexico City because of everything we've been talking about, Lizzie. So... I was at a concert at El Zócalo, which is a famous, really big open plaza. And there were more than 200,000 people on top of each other jamming. Yeah, I mean, the plaza is big, but we were all crammed in there like sardines for hours. Before COVID. Oh, yeah. Before COVID. COVID. Yeah. (laughs) It's like 2016. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, at the end of the concert, the ground literally started moving up and down like waves. Mm-mm. Like we were on water and it was a crazy experience. And it's because of what you've been explaining, Lizzie. Yeah, that's wild. Ooh. So 
Anyway, all of these issues make engineering for foundations or roads and even water supply and sewer drainage a huge issue. And they estimate there are about 40,000 leaks in the water system every year due to the shifting soils. And some buildings, the original ground floor is now a basement. La pura neta, that is wild. (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of a cyclical problem because they don't have enough water. So they need to pull from the aquifer. But that causes sinking and causes pipes to leak. And then they waste the water that they need because the pipes leak. So, Lizzie, you mentioned the colonizers screwed up Mexico City when they drained the lake bed. And now, as the city pulls water to survive, the problem gets worse. Are there other sources they could get water from? Because, you know, people need water. Right. So... From my research, it sounds like they have tried to do this, and some of the city's water does come from other rivers far away, but it's costly to pump the water up to the city. Mexico City is at a very high altitude, and I think most of the water coming from other places would be below it, so it wouldn't be able to happen by gravity. Wow, that's very complicated. I hope they figure out some more long-lasting solutions soon. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. So... Before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid for this week's episode is. Jessica, will you tell us what a karyotid is? Por supuesto. So, for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman, used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... <laughs> Vanessa Galvez. Whee! Yay, Vanessa! Whee! Ow! Yay! <laughs> All right. So Vanessa is a civil engineer in New York City. She grew up in Queens, and she's the daughter of Salvadorian immigrants. Her interest in civil engineering began after she watched a documentary about a levee failure in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. She attended New York University Tandon School of Engineering in Brooklyn. And after she graduated, she started working at the New York City Department of Design and Construction as a resident engineer. The very same day, Hurricane Sandy hit New York City. Oh, no. Yeah. And so after the storm, Vanessa was in charge of constructing 164 bioswales in the Maspeth, Queens area. And she was only 26 years old. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. Um, What are bioswales? Yes. So bioswales are green areas that have really absorbent soil and specific plants to help absorb excess water. The idea is that they'll help slow water when there's a flood or too much rainwater for the city's sewer systems to handle. We probably need more of that in Houston. Yeah. Actually, bioswales are becoming more common here in California, too, on our projects. A lot of the jurisdictions require them even on a residential project. Chido. So I feel like Vanessa reminds me of Concepcion and how they both were interested in city engineering of drainage or roads from a really young age. And Concepcion's thesis was a water tower. And I don't know the reasoning behind her choice for that thesis, but I feel like water and infrastructure is kind of connecting the two ladies and the struggles of Mexico City. Yeah, they both dealt with the issues trying to save their cities from water 
too much or too little. Mm-hmm. The heroes of civil engineering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although we might not know exactly what projects Concepcion worked on, she had to have addressed the sinking issues of Mexico City in some form. Right. I can see the connection with Vanessa, because when you look at the cities that are facing water issues like New Orleans and the flooding in New York, Vanessa is working towards fixing that issue, an issue that is somewhat similar to Mexico. And Vanessa is addressing an infrastructural issue that impacts entire cities, something that it seems that Mexico will have to address, too. I would say it's something that Mexico is addressing, too, right? Because they're addressing it. They just haven't figured out a lasting solution true that's true right yeah yeah all right before we say adios we want to say gracias to cmyk for the music john w our technical producer and most of all muchisima gracia for listening we hope you enjoyed learning about concepcion and vanessa along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies again gracias Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, people in your Zoom meetings. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Adios! 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 Majidi, what's a chamba? It's a word for work. Okay, just in Mexico. Sure. In Mexico. In Mexico. For our non Mexicans to <laughs> know what that means. <laughs> Um, we don't explain any of our other phrases. Know, right? <laughs> well, like the pig whistles. <laughs> I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so 
overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.